Father. Good afternoon and welcome to Burnout, Retention and the Great Resignation, Leading and Keeping Information Security Professionals, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by CrowdStrike. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments uh, at any time in the uh, Q&A box, and we'll take those later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Jackie Monson, VP Chief Technology Risk Officer, CISO and Chief Privacy Officer at Sutter Health, Audrius Polakaitis, CIO and AVP of Health Information Technology at the University of Illinois Hospital and Health Sciences System, and Drex DeFord, Executive Healthcare Strategist with CrowdStrike, and then we will have our Q&A. We have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about today, and so we're going to jump right in. Um, Jackie, let's start with you. Can we get an overview of your organization and your role? Sure. So I wear three hats, um, mostly over information security, privacy, and technology risk. Uh, Sutter is a pretty large integrated healthcare system. We have 24 hospitals, uh, thousands of clinical locations, a health plan, um, and, and many other functions, mostly based in Northern California. Uh, a location at Kahi Mahalo and uh, some locations in Utah. Very good. Thank you. Audrius? Yeah, first of all, good morning, good afternoon to everybody. Um, Audrius Polakaitis, Chief Information Officer at UI Health, which is the University of Illinois Hospital and Health Sciences System, essentially uh, responsibility for uh, all things system infrastructure services, uh, IT related, supporting uh, the broader university academic health system mission uh, at UI Health. We are fundamentally an Illinois-based organization, largely focused uh, on markets, uh, on the Chicago market. Very good. Drex? Uh, I'm Drex DeFord. I'm executive healthcare strategist at CrowdStrike. We're a cybersecurity company that provides cloud-native a cloud-native set of solutions and services that protect healthcare organizations from endpoint to cloud workloads to identity protection. Um, I come at this uh, as a longtime recovering CIO with time in the seat in the U.S. Air Force at Scripps Health, Seattle Children's, and Steward, and uh, a long list of other uh, fun and interesting experiences during my days as an independent consultant. Um, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to hearing from my fellow panelists. I think it's going to be a great session. All right. Very good, Drex. Thank you. All right, we got a lot on this slide, so we, we're going to be on here for a while. Um, Jackie, we're going to start with you. I'll, I'll read it off, and then you just jump in where you want. How would you describe the healthcare IS workforce environment? Are you able to find people with the skills and experience you want at the salary you're offering? Are you hiring for remote-only positions? Are there some IS positions that you are not making remote-only, perhaps hybrid or perhaps in full-time, and Why? Uh, what are some of the challenges that come with managing newly hired remote-only individuals as opposed to individuals who have worked for your health system, established, understood the culture, maybe built relationships, and then gone remote? Uh, so the specific challenges of, of having someone only starting their remote and getting them integrated that way. So wherever you want to, Jim, take them one at a time, however you want to handle it, Jackie. Thank you. 
Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, this is going to, our workforce and the information security space is going to continue to be challenging for us in healthcare because we're competing with all other industries who can pay more. Um, so when I'm recruiting talent, I'm looking for mission-driven folks who are really interested in in a cause in a mission. And that's why they're working for me, not necessarily the highest paying job, the best benefits. And I think the challenge with um, fully remote, and we have fully remote in certain states, not all states. So that certainly posed a challenge for us. But I think fully remote is, it's hard to get attached to that mission, not being in a hospital, not rounding, not seeing the patients and seeing how we're impacting them. So I think that's one of the challenges. And then, you know, it's, I think it's easier to be remote when you already have established relationships. So we have some folks on our team that we've literally never met in person because they started right after the pandemic hit. And so for them to be, you know, deeply connected to that mission, I think is a lot different than, you know, my team that's um, been around for eight or nine years and they know everybody, they know the mission and they don't necessarily need to see patients every day to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And so I think it's just a challenging environment. Um, You know, we have some positions that we've determined to, that can be fully remote And what's been interesting is I've definitely seen the introverts have a strong desire and get some anxiety when I talk about coming back into the office. And, um, you know, they really, really want to stay remote and they don't ever want to be seen in person again. And I think there's some balance with that. Um, You know, we want to see them again. We need to develop that rapport, um, you know, get them focused on the mission. And you just can't get that remotely. You've got to actually go visit one of our hospitals and round with the patients who are literally helping save their lives every day with what we do. So I think that's the that's the sort of overarching challenge that I see we continuing to face. And as far as um, you know, salaries and offerings, I think you know we continue to ch- be challenged by that, and um, certainly have seen um, you know the market get really hot and the talent shortage be huge. And so I think that's going to be a uh, you know continuous issue. I do have really good partnership with my HR team, and so when I come to them and say, "Can we look at market data? We've lost you know twenty people in job offers. Help me out here." They definitely do that. We've also done retention bonuses, so we're trying as hard as we can to meet them where they are. But I think it's going to continue to be a challenge as we face the shortages that we face with this talented workforce that we need. All right, a couple of follow-ups there. Um, one is you talked about the importance of rounding. Um, can you tell me a little bit more detail about how you handle that? Do you want everybody in IS rounding, um, or is it above a certain level? Do you have a frequency in mind or a way you handle that? Just thought more thoughts on that. Yeah, so my information security officer level, which is director level, they're rounding all the time. They're rounding at least a couple of times a week because they're really working with the CEOs at the hospitals to facilitate whatever's needed. I think everybody on my entire team and I expect them to round, um, not at the same frequency as the information security officers, but I think it's really important to be focused on the mission and you can't be focused on the mission unless you observe it. And um, so that's one of the things that we do when they become new employees um, is we send them out into the field and let them spend a day rounding um, and just observing what's going on. Because I find that the more attached they are to the mission of keeping our patients safe, the more longevity I have, the more motivation they have to do a great job for us. And so it's, I think it's just an important component of that. Even if they're fully remote, um, it's worth it to me to fly them in mm. to do some rounding. 
Interesting. Interesting. Um, you, you mentioned the, there are some individuals that have gone remote with COVID and who are very reluctant to come back in. That um, is an issue for you uh, because you feel that you want them to have that connection to the mission through the rounding. And I'm never, you know, I'm never coming in again is not conducive to that. Are you handling that on a one-off basis in, in a sort of trying gently to coax them back? I mean, how are you handling that? Or are you going to get to a point where you say some people got to go? Yeah. I'm, you know, we're certainly still trying to meet them where we are. I feel like we're finally on the the end of the pandemic or at least getting closer to that. So we're at a point where, you know, there's more comfort with people actually going into the office and interacting. And, you know, for some people that fills their cup for other people's, it fills their cup to just stay at home. Mm-hmm. And um, we've got to strike the right balance in meeting all of their needs. But at the end of the day, I think anybody who, um, you know, their cup is completely full, just staying fully remote and not interacting at all, it's going to be really challenging for me to retain them. Um, And it's going to be challenging for them to be successful, I think, in their role uh, long term, because of the limited interactions, you just don't get the same, you don't build the same relationship via Zoom as you can in person. And I think even a 10 minute conversation with somebody in person is more valuable than months on Zoom. Yep. Yep. Very good. Audrey, wherever you want to jump in there. Yeah. You know, I, I remember seeing a, a Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, data at the end of 2021, something like 11 people, 11 million jobs, job opening, 6 million people looking for work. So you, you say, oh, 1.7, right? For every available uh, or every every person who wants work can get 1.7 jobs. Um, of course, that's maybe not the statistics within IT, within security specifically, but we all we are all are living this in our own ways. So, so are we able to find the right people? So far, we've been okay. We've lost a couple people, but we've actually been fortunate that there are a couple local organizations in the Chicago area that uh, signed large outsourcing deals um, for their IT staff. And so there are those elements of their previous workforce who are not interested in being part of a larger, let's say, outsourced IT organization, want to feel that connection and affinity to the given, let's say, health system and operations, and they choose to look for other opportunities. We've been able to take advantage of that. So thus far, we've been okay. Are there people we've lost? We Yes, we have lost people. As far as salaries um, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of a, a balancing act. Um, I think gone are the days where you can define the salary. Uh, flexibility is the, the key word here uh, within reason. We, too, have done market salary surveys, trying to give it, giving everybody a bump, trying to uh, keep up, understand what the market is, keep up with the market. But even with each individual hire, we will have some amount of uh, flexibility as far as the salary goes. You know, when, when, when you think about the great, this great resignation, as we call it, uh, basically the way sort of I saw a study out of the University of Michigan, and it's really about people wanting to seek a different type of um, relationship to the work they do. And fundamentally, one of the essential aspects here is have meaning in the work that they do. And the positive thing about us in healthcare is absolutely everything we do has meaning, just the very essence of supporting caregivers, families, patients, and so on. For us, even further bolstered by the fact that we are part of an um, academic, let's say, university setting where we're also uh, advancing knowledge. We are not, at this point, posting anything that we describe as remote only. Uh, in practice, 
uh, vast majorities of the team are working remote five days a week. However, I do describe it as hybrid. And my simple rationale for that is, guys, 80% of the workforce of our health system never had the chance to work at home because of what they do in direct patient caregiver roles. This is where the action is. So we do need to be ready to have interactions, as Jackie already described, right? You got to be able to round, see things yourself. What's happening? What are the challenges? What's working? What's not working? So again, we're pretty much remote, but uh, with this opportunity for people to come together, and it's amazing. You know, teams started coming together maybe once a month, maybe once every two weeks, and what you see is pure joy when they do come together. Like even the most hardened sort of you know basement dwelling IT people, right? <laughs> like, like they like they miss spending time with people, and it's. It's kind of cool to see. Now, on that day, do they, you know, maybe they're not as productive from a task basis, right? But they go out to lunch together, right? They hang out. And we actually get to this word of collaboration. You know, you can't argue. Tactically, things have been, things are getting done, right? There, there's no doubt, right? We can be as productive as we were when we were in person. Tactically, I do worry about the strategic aspects of this. Um, what does it mean to define a strategy? What does it mean? Jackie already touched on this culture. I love, I love telling this little anecdote of um, we um, our, our nursing, uh, most of our IT professionals are unionized. Our nurses and our IT professionals and other professionals went on strike. We had a gentleman who joined our team four weeks before um, the strike. He goes on strike, right? The guy never had spent a minute on site. I had never met the gentleman, right? And you sort of step back and you scratch your head and say, what Like, what can possibly be a beef or a gripe at this point? And obviously there's maybe other cultural context that comes with that, but you, you, just, you just wonder, like, how do, how do I grab hold of this culture if I never see anybody? What does it mean to define a culture? And of course we can talk about what are some of the things we're trying to do uh, together. Let me pause at that point. That, that is really interesting. So you have somebody who uh, agrees to an arrangement, a package, and then within a few weeks is demanding that they <laughs> be improved. Or, 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 or maybe uh, through his family, there's an affinity, right, to, to, to labor unions, right? Again, again yeah, not right. to judge it, right? right. But it just, it just, you just raise the question, like, what, what might have been, what was the thought? And of course, right. These are not things that you engage in casual conversation on right. with somebody, right. You're, you know, you're not supposed to go there. Um, quick follow-up on the, you mentioned that you perhaps the beneficiary of some of the local health systems doing some outsourcing and uh, creating some, uh, some, uh, some employees, available employees in the market. Is that, uh, I mean, is that something you could advise your other your colleagues, your CIO colleagues to keep an eye on, sort of just be yeah. aware of what's going on in your local market. And if an event like that occurs, I don't know specifically how you take advantage of that in terms of finding those individuals. It, that may be technically a little hard, but nonetheless, it sounds like something to at least be aware of. I thought you were going to say, can you encourage your local CIO colleagues to outsource? So yeah. <laughs> create, create more you, employees. You, you, you know, uh, I, um, you know, clearly it's, it's circumstantial, right? I, right. I mean, we, we call it, call it luck. That seems like a, a strange way to characterize it. And it's not exactly what you would characterize as a sustainable strategy. Right. So, right. so, it, it, you know, in the immediate short term, it has uh, served us well, you know, are, is there always some churn on positions? Sure. Sure. There is. 
another another strategy for those that have this opportunity, we've been fairly active. We are also fortunate, right? We're part of a university system, right? So, um, so creating some pipelines uh, that come out of there. We've done a, uh, we've done well there in the security area. We've done well there in the uh, sort of business intelligence uh, analytics areas, right? Um, in other words, bringing in people who finished master's degrees in computer science or information security, right? Now, of course, what you're getting is not a seasoned uh, uh, professional, right? They can hit the ground. There's an investment you're making in preparing them. And of course, then probably Jack, back to the point Jackie made, now, now the challenge is, of course, how do I keep them and retain them, right? Because the odds are good you're going to develop skills and then you know maybe start looking at what are the other opportunities out there. Drax, here's what I want to ask you. It may not be what you wanted to answer right now, but it comes to mind on everything that's being discussed. And I've heard this from other CIOs um, and CISOs. This, this desire, this need to get the, some of this remote workforce back in. So the CIOs are looking at things from a culture, strategy, cohesive team point of view. And I think what's happening is you have a lot of these remote employees who want to stay remote, who are looking at things from a very task-oriented tactical level, saying, I get more done at home. I'm getting all my tasks done. I can get more tasks done than I could in the office. So they're right in that sense, but the, the CIOs and the leaders are absolutely right in my team feels like it's flying apart. Um, and I've also heard the point made that the clinicians never had the opportunity to stay home. So what are you complaining about? I've heard that expressed as well. Um, what are your thoughts around all that and put yourself in the CIO role, the CIO CISO role from where you were. And I wonder what you would be, how you would be handling this. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, you know, look, this, I think as a CIO or CISO leader, you're standing back and taking sort of a larger view of this, right? It's been a really challenging time. Uh, the pandemic has kind of stamped this concept of burnout, not only on our clinical staff, and, you know, we read a lot about doctors and nurses being burned out, but it's done the same to IT staff. It's done the same to cybersecurity staff. Um, these are tough jobs. They're high stress. They, you know, nobody wants to be in a health system that's uh, on the front page of the newspaper uh, tomorrow. And people who work for, you know, work very, very hard for a very, very long time wind up getting burned out. So you have to find ways to take pressures off. And I love all the ideas, right? building that teamwork, rounding and going to Gemba to use a Toyota production system term, right? Going to where the work is done so that you can see how your work as a cybersecurity professional affects frontline delivery care to patients and families. Incredibly important. And there's this thing too, I can tell you that even the most grumpy, because uh, I spend time in a lot of different health systems and I hear a lot of stories, even the most grumpy, introverted person on the team um, may think that they hate the idea of coming back to the office because they really enjoy getting their hundred tasks done every day. But even those people, when they come back to the office, realize why they enjoy being in the office, even if it was a group of irritants that made them mad. I mean, I don't know if it's misery loves company or whatever the case might be, but People sometimes love the things that they hate. And even those folks like everybody that I've talked to, they like coming back to the to the office, you know, even if it's just once in a while to reconnect with their peers, the ones that they used to grind against. They like to see their faces and see what's happening. 
Yeah, it's interesting, Jackie. It's like you, you I think there's a, a, the anxiety is social anxiety. I think some of the type of people that go into IT are not the most uh, gregarious folks in the world. Right. We, or, 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 I don't. Was it Audrey who mentioned oh, the base, basement dwellers? Did you use the term yeah, basement I, dweller? I Would did. You, I'm sorry if I offended anybody. You know. No, no, but. Um, I don't know if there's anything that can be done about that, but that may be, some of it could be the commute because some people have difficult commutes. Uh, and some of it, I think, is just social anxiety that's, you know, the longer you're in the basement, the harder it is to come out. Um, so I don't know if there's anything that can be done about that. I think it's definitely a thing that you see. Um, yeah, go ahead, Drex. You know, fo folks who have been uh, isolated at home for a while, when you get back together, it is a whole new, like, I haven't exercised these muscles right. for a while. I have to figure out how to be social again and how to, you know, say the right things and do the right things. It's harder. It's hard. It's hard to do it in the beginning. But but like a bike, you know, I think I think people pick right back up. I think yesterday, you're absolutely right. Yesterday, Audrey, go yeah, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. I ask no, go ahead. Um, yesterday afternoon, after two years, was the first time we had an in-person management meeting of, of, of the department. And Drex, as you said, like a bit, you know, slightly, like you knew everybody, but slightly <laughs> a little awkward. awkward, like starting like, do I touch anybody? Do I like, do, do we shake hands? Do we like, right? You know, with that. And, and then obviously, right, being respectful, some people chose to continue to wear masks. Like, like they just came back from vacation, right? And they're, they're concerned about colleagues, right? Uh, mm. and, and, and then the personal choice, right? All that is great. All, all that is cool. But what we were talking about, the topic was our organization just crafted a new strategic plan. And now we're talking about, okay, so how do the IT services and what are the new things that we need to be thinking about to align with the strategic plan, right? I'm so, I'm really, I feel lucky that we have this opportunity to do this in person because I cannot imagine how that conversation on that topic would go on a Zoom, like on a Zoom call, right? Where whether you like it or not, right, it is not, you're not reading, you're sort of reading body language, but you can't tell when someone's inhaling about this, about the speak, right? So you're stepping on each other, like, oh, sorry, you go first, right? We just did it here, right? It, so, you know, it was a very, it was a very nice moment. There was some hesitation from people, but generally people went with it, right? It was like 20 some people and we're now going to be doing this every two weeks, at least coming together for that two hour window. Jackie, yeah, I, I think, mean, go ahead, go ahead, Jackie. I think, you know, we have to meet them where they are to some degree. And then at some point we just have to rip the bandaid off and say, we'll see you in the office and, um, you know, get over the awkwardness of getting them used to, we are going to have some in-person meetings. And so I feel like I've been preparing them in conversation for the last two and a half years. Every time I have a town hall with my team, like the number one or number two question is when are we coming back to the office? Are you going to make me work full-time from the office? It's all around that. So it's definitely social anxiety, but, you know, I think you can only prepare them so much. You can try to meet them where they are. And then, you know, I, I'm just going to rip the bandaid off and say, Hey, I'm going to see you in a couple of weeks. Um, give them enough time to think about it. And then we just got to do it. And, you know, and, and I'm sure some are going to like it and some aren't going to like it. And there's going to be a lot of remote opportunities, other places, but I think in healthcare, it's going to be really challenging to not be hybrid um, to some degree and to have some in person interaction yeah jackie i don't know how you're thinking about it but i'm definitely not thinking about it like five days a week you know no. like those days are long gone right like mm -hmm. but but some yeah some amount of presence um well heck even myself right I'm, i've been working fridays at home i love fridays 
well, for many other reasons, but it's like, really, <laughs> it's like really nice. Right. And, and yet I find it's a good balance like uh, Monday through Thursday. Right. I, it's important. So all, all the same reasons to be there, to see things, to be present. Now, what I do love about the flexibility on a personal note, and I see some other people doing this, like I won't be in the car at 7 a.m., right? I'll, I'll, I'll start working maybe 7.30. I'll turn on, you know, navigation, right? And, and start looking at the times to commute in. And when it drops to like, you know, 43 minutes, I find a break in the schedule, go or do the next meeting from the car, right? And, and, and so the flexibility uh, creates a little bit of ease, uh, right? On, on the workday that way too, as far as when I go into the office. Absolutely. Or you could just get a Tesla and let it self-drive you to the office and you can still work while you're doing it. <laughs> now, just There's get, this other thing too, Anthony. Go, about go like, um, I, I just think to myself, like going in, there were so many other people that I talked to or that I got to know that really had great insights on what we were working on that I would have never met with on a Zoom call as part of my normal, I mean, you know, custodians and other folks who can tell you, I mean, if you go in at six o'clock in the morning and talk to the overnight shift, uh, the folks who are like turning beds and doing all of that, they have a lot of insight on what's happening in the organization. And you would never normally get them on a Zoom call. So there's a lot of other benefits to like going in and, and being in at least part of the time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with uh, Audrey's point that there are conversations that the the quality and the importance and the level and the number of people you need engaged that need to happen in person in a conference room to really achieve the best uh, outcome that you can can have from that and that just you just can't replicate it uh, in a Zoom call. So a um, little little more granular and then we're going to move on. But Jackie, have you we talk about people not having to come in every day? Um, have you thought about what that would look like in terms of um, mixing it up uh, certain days you get to pick be ever for example i've thought okay if we're going to let people pick uh do we want to have one day like for example wednesday when everybody's in so you know you could schedule meetings on wednesday you don't have to try and schedule a meeting and oh that's joe's day off and sally's in but they're never on in the same day but i need them both in a meeting so have you thought to that level of how you're going to play around with it yeah and i think what we've had we so i've had some people that you know, had opted out of remote work and they're in the office five days a week because that's what they choose to do. And then I have some people who are begging to get in. And so the goal would be to have social interaction. So we've talked about, you know, establishing Tuesdays and Thursdays as days where, you know, leadership will be in the office. And that's when we have all of our meetings. And that's when we, you know, pull all of our teams together so that, you know, that you have the welcoming environment and you get the social interaction versus, you know, today, if I go to the office, it'll be empty. Nobody will be there, mm-hmm. um, you know, and great for me because maybe I have distractions at home and that's why I want to go in or I need to meet with a senior leader. But um, if you can get the most out of your your time meeting with your team and and the level of frequency that works for everybody, which I think is going to be kind of a little bit of a science to figure that out as you start going back to the office. Um, but if when you find that sweet spot and that right balance um, for the team, I think it'll all work out in the end. Audrey, have you played around with that, specifically what you're going to do there? Played around is a great way to characterize it, right? So, so yeah. we, are now, we are now sort of, as I mentioned, right, uh, you know, doing this Wednesday, this Wednesday thing, right, every, every other Wednesday. Um, and then I, basically, 
you know, my, my view on this is uh, let's all be professional about this. And, and some of it is going to be defined at the local team level. So maybe there is, you know, every two, three, four weeks, the team wants to come together. I'm going to let the manager define that. Maybe the respective directors want to get together with their management teams, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to let that happen uh, as it does. You know, what strikes me is the most complex thing we face right now is, you know, we know how this works when everybody's together. We know how this works when nobody's mm-hmm. together and everybody's mm-hmm. wrong. It's this mixed mode that is actually the most challenging to deal with. Even yesterday, like I, I, I made it sound like everybody was in the room. Well, almost everybody was in the room. Three people were not in the room for good reasons, right? One of them, uh, there's a, a potential of COVID in the family, right? Other two. Good. So the tough part is how do you integrate those who are not there when the action is in the room, right? Mm-hmm. People are joining in. Our technology solutions, they're not, they're not there yet, right? I mean, I think we're, we're going to be making investments in some of these, you know, I don't even know what they call them, specific conference rooms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. there, I know there's some capabilities out there. We haven't made those types of investments yet. We've got sort of our standard uh, meeting spaces with, yeah, there's cameras mounted on the walls, but they're not, they're not particularly fancy, right? The audio doesn't come across in the large room setting. It's like you hear what people wear hearing aids, right? Like you hear a lot of noise, the kibitzing, the, you know, the cackling as people are laughing at jokes, right? If you're remote, you have no idea what's going on there. This is probably the most challenging circumstance we have to fix, to find a solution to that. You know, Drex, uh, we had Zafar Chowdhury from Seattle Children's uh, on a different event. And he talked about what Audrius was just saying about the, creating a live conference room type, type experience for people who are joining remotely. That is a huge issue uh, with uh, IT executives now and health systems having trying to recreate that environment. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to hear Audrius talk about the, you know, where is the center of gravity in the conversation, right? Is it most everybody's remote and there's only a few people in the office? That's a different approach to how you wind up having these conversations versus most of the people are in the office and there are a few people remote. Um, I want to use my ask a panelist question. Go for it. it. (laughs) So for the two of you, in all of this sort of mixed mode, how do you get everybody to come to to work on Wednesday? Are you doing any other things like... um, you know, providing lunch or is there a, you know, social aspect of something that you've put together to kind of help make this even more magnetic for them to come to work on the day that you would like to have everybody there for meetings? I'm just, I know you're both super creative in this and I'm just wondering if you have some, some things that people can steal from you. Jack, Jackie, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So we we actually started with social interactions and we've been doing social interactions for the last several months. So um, as just an icebreaker, actually, to getting back together. So lunches, um, top golf, um, some were throwing uh, knives at targets. I don't know what that's formally <laughs> called, but any kind of formal social interactions, escape rooms. Um, you know, all of those sort of things to like break the ice on the social interaction before we actually got them in the office to do work. And I think any time that we're in the office now, it's icebreakers first, social interaction first, and then work because we've just got to, we've got to make up that time of the last two and a half years of not having that level of interaction and, and understanding. And I think, you know, the personal connection is an important piece of 
um, you know, people's desire to stay at a job too. Yeah. Jackie, right. just real quick before I go to Audrey, at some point that's going to go away, right? I mean, eventually you just have to go to work without, right. without getting to throw knives before you start. Yeah. Or I think it was axes actually, not knives, whatever, whatever that new thing is where you throw them at the targets. Right. But anyway, you know, when, when you're the leader and you get those pictures and you're a lawyer, you look at it and go, oh my goodness, are we going to have some liability <laughs> here? Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think that's part of it. And I think you've got to mix both, right? We've always had social interactions to some degree on, you know, maybe it was only a monthly basis, but you, you got to have that and then you got to have the work. Um, and we're in this hybrid world right now where we're trying to break the ice and get to a point where we can just go back to meetings and work. Audrius, your thoughts? Uh, food. Uh, food. food is, you know, they, they say this about residents and physicians, right? Feed them and they, and they will come. And, uh, I, okay. I, I'm over like way over dramatizing here, but, um, that, that does help, right? That's not the reason people show up, but it feels like, oh, he cared, right? Like, you know, he got, he got his Jimmy John's or whatever it is. Oh, I'm not supposed to say names probably like that's that. The but sandwich, right? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, yeah, that's oh, fine. That's all right, fine. All right. All right, all right. <laughs> Right. I don't think they and, compete and some, with CrowdStrike, right, Drex? Okay, okay. <laughs> and sometimes, not yet anyways. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, now there's a limit, right? You know, just because they show up every Wednesday, am I, are we getting sandwiches every Wednesday? You know, there's, I do work in a state organization. There's going to be a point where someone's going to catch on and say, what are you doing, right? So, so you know, there, there are, there's some times where, Let's say the the direct maybe my director's team right is in together right and and also on Wednesdays right I'll I'll pick up lunch myself right like it's a it's a well invested you know forty five fifty bucks right like it is like it's a minimal you know it's a minimal offering sort of as an appreciation for people who made the effort to physically be there it's it's also sort of you're right Anthony at some point we are going to get back to sort of what it looked like in normal which is what probably maybe a couple times a year social events right. like we're planning one a, a summer event right now right for the team right like we're gonna do that and then teams right teams love to go out and you know m- maybe you know go to a favorite watering hole after work or something like that right it's gonna become i i suspect it's gonna become what it was before right the way we interacted as humans uh, previous to this that's great that's great all right let's let's stick with the ask a co-panelist section since drex unceremoniously dragged us there. Just kidding, buddy. Um, Audrey, why don't you go ahead? You have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Uh, I'll, I'll go with Jackie. So um, what's going to be sort of the second career once you're done with the whole CISO and, oh, an interesting uh, question. and oh. technology risk <laughs> officer, right? I mean, it's like high pressure, high intense, high intellectual. Like, what do you see? Do, like, Earlier, we were talking, uh, commenting about Martha Stewart, who's maybe redefined herself many times over, right? But, but like, what's yours? What's what do you see as yours, sort of af- after after you're done with this gig? You know, I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't think I'm Martha Stewart and or a fan of her, but um, I think probably the only area uh, that I would probably go into, completely unrelated to any of these high stress jobs, would be to own a baby boutique. Oh. Uh, there's actually high demand. Um, and this morning before the webinar, um, these, uh, bamboo pajamas are very popular, sold out in less than two minutes. And, uh, I was helping a fellow mom out, try to get the drop of these, uh, panda jamas, 
um, before I uh, started my day job today. So anyway, I think it would be fun to own one and something completely different and non-stress other than if you have to do these drops every week, that might be stressful. Drex, I was going to ask you the same question, but it's a little unfair because you like redefined yourself like 19 times already, right? In in, in your life. But what's for the same thing, what would be like, boy, this sounds bad if you're anybody from your employer is listening in, right? (laughs) But, 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 but like, like moving on, like when, when you're done with this sort of tech kind of work, what types of things do you see engaging in? Wow. I mean, it's a, it's a great question. You're right. I have reinvented myself several times over the course of my career. And um, honestly, I would say I love what I'm doing right now. I feel like I spent my whole career and all the things that I've done to get to this position that I'm in today at CrowdStrike. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's great fun. And, and I really haven't thought about what might be next because I've really only been here about a year. And so I'm really enjoying what I'm doing uh, today, but, but I have a tons of, ton of hobbies, you know, hiking and, and, and snowshoeing and, uh, doing a lot of outdoor stuff. So maybe it would turn into being, a you know, an outfitter or a guide or a park ranger or something like that. Park ranger. Yeah. Like that. Who knows? Very good. All How right. About yeah. you, Audrey, I want to hear your answer. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, 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 this is not... <laughs> No, no, no. This goes in one direction. You already used your question, Rex. You already used your oh, Okay, okay. Thanks, yeah. thanks. No, I can answer it. You know what I think about? What? Uh, two, two things come to mind. So I'm building I'm building a, a tree house for my five-year-old daughter now, right? And I sort of find, I find like, I love, I love, I love the construction thing. I'm not particularly good at it and it takes me a long time and I drop tools on my head and you know, stuff like this, right? But but I do, I do enjoy, right? There's a satisfaction seeing seeing what you've what you've put together yourself. The second thing is teaching. I um, I really enjoy sort of that dynamic atmosphere of a classroom. It's a lot of work. I have a lot of respect, right? I mean, it's, it's a man. It takes a lot of energy to do it, but I find it kind of uh, kind of exciting. So I don't know. Two thoughts there. Very good. Well, speaking of tree houses, uh, that's one of the things I did not do for my children, despite the request, because building something up in the sky where they'll go was not. Yeah, I can put up a shelf. It'll be a little crooked, but that's about it. Um, <laughs> Jackie, your turn to ask your uh, distinguished co-panelists a question. Yeah, so question for both of you. Um, you know, one of one of the things that I think we've seen in in healthcare, particularly delivery, in the last couple of years, is the financial challenges of recovering from COVID, the cost of care going up with PPE and other things, and so one of the challenges that I face as the organization looks to how do we, how do we make up the money that we lost is um, the, the reaction that I get, which is, can't you outsource more to save money? Um, You know, what, what is it that you can outsource? And so my question to both of you is where is that sweet spot of balance between what you outsource? um, Because maybe it is a better option. Maybe it is more affordable. Maybe it helps with the talent issue and where do you insource um, to have your team be functional and not miss a beat in protecting the organization? That's a great question. Uh, Audrius, let's start with you. You sure we can't start with Drex on this? No, 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 no you're right, on the spot. Right. Okay. I, you know, I, I, um, especially given the topic we're talking about in, in, in the context of the question you asked, my view is, you know, strategic outsourcing is is really the way to go, right? You're you're going to look at those functions where number one, somebody can probably do it better than you can yourself. You don't view it as a core competency. Um, 
and probably um, they do it more cost effectively than you do because they can scale the operation across multiple uh, organizations or clients. So, you know, things that we have taken that direction is, for example, and, and, and this is not rocket science. Many have done, done the service desks, clinical service desks, um, oh, desktop support uh, teams. Um, um, on the security front, we find ourselves using more of that uh, so managed services in that front, unfortunately, it's not CrowdStrike that we partner with. I, I was not aware of Drexel and CrowdStrike when we made those decisions. But 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 essentially, right, finding those areas where um, it's, it's economically doesn't make sense now, especially in our context, given that you know we we are a state university. Again, I mentioned the unionization, right? You have to be cognizant, of course, sensitive to to the people that are in those roles, right? So usually we, we look for other opportunities uh, for those people, right? So in other words, respect for the, for the employee, right? That if, if we move on and we think it's more cost-effective, then great, let's reskill you, let's retool you to do something, uh, something different, right? That, that we think is a core competency and we think we can differentiate on those. Sorry, maybe not a comprehensive answer, but kind of the first thoughts that come to mind. Drex? Yeah, Jackie, I... Um... You know, I would I would really second everything that Audrey has said. Look, we're I think I read something yesterday. You know, we're five hundred thousand people short right now in cybersecurity people who have the skills versus the jobs that are that are open right now. So I don't know that I think about it necessarily as much as outsourcing as I do sort of finding really good partners who can take some of those things off your plate. Um, I mean, it's a lot of what CrowdStrike does. We have 16,000 customers worldwide, including, uh, you know, 15 of the top 25 health systems in the country. And because of the way that we work, we've built this economy of scale that's tougher to do um, compared to an individual organization. So with services that we have like Falcon Complete, we kind of become additional staff. We take that whole endpoint detection and response workload off a health systems plate. And then we sort of integrate into, into your security team. So it's, I think it's sort of finding the, it's hard when you talk about it as outsourcing because it really creates a lot of scary resistance inside of an organization. And I think what we do really is an outsourcing. It's really sort of saying this whole thing that's complicated to do and really needs a special skill and like, you know, it, and it's boring for a lot of people to, you know, to hire somebody to kind of do that constant endpoint monitoring. Let's give that to somebody else and let's use the staff that we have to do really complicated, hard stuff that we have to do to make our programs better. So you know, that's directly, probably a sweet spot. It strikes me that, um, you know, firms like yourself, you're faced with the same challenge that we are as far as recruiting, retaining, right? And, and, I, and I realize, you know, part of this uh, is, a, is obligation on our part too, that, you know, we, we of course, we want to demand high quality services, but we too need to understand, right, to give uh, those firms that are servicing us, let's say CrowdStrike or somebody else, right, um, some flexibility in, in how they approach it and how they hire and how they staff. You know, every, everybody's in this crunch. I, I think that the benefit that firms like yourself have, which I think you already alluded to, is scale, right? You, you, if one person can do, can cover more clients than, right, than right. more cost effectively than I can. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you know, I think all of us face the challenges and issues around hiring cybersecurity professionals. I think we have a different kind of advantage as a commercial company than you have as health systems 
just because of, I mean, I've sat in your seats. I know the struggle it is like with state institutions to figure out how are you going to hit those salary numbers and what people, you know, need to be paid and want to be paid. I mean, you know, and we have sort of the cool tech company kind of factor going for us. And, and all of that sort of conspires to put us in a position to be able to be more effective at helping our customers. Um, it, it, but it's, I mean, there is no doubt we have a shortage of cybersecurity pros, and that's going to go on for a long, long time, it looks like. Hey, Anthony, had you ever yeah. considered a segment of your program ask the host the question? No, no, I haven't. And you're probably not going to go there, right? Do it. Well, I, I, I'm better at asking questions than giving answers, but I do have a comment to make that may further the discussion. Um, we were talking about uh, outsourcing the boring stuff in a sense. And we did a webinar the other day on using staffing firms, leveraging staffing firms. And one of the, uh, a lot around application decommissioning. And one of the points about using outsourcing or outside firms was this idea of outsource the boring stuff uh, because, and let your team do the fun stuff. However, you define that. Um, Jackie, what do you, what do you think about that concept? Yeah, I think that's an interesting concept and probably, some, you know, I think I think mundane tasks are easier to outsource, in my opinion, than the complicated things, especially when you have legacy technology and integration yeah. and interconnectivity. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's um, that's conceptually how we do it today for the most part. Um, but I think, you know, further evaluation of that, one of the biggest challenges we actually have is even going to, um, you know, co-source model is them finding the right talent that we need to do some of the jobs. So like an information security officer, a privacy officer, it's like merely impossible for me to find that talent in a consultant level role, even for just staff AUG, because, you know, we need, we have, we have a, um, you know, somebody leaving and we've got some time in period or medical leave. That's a really challenging space um, for us to find the right talent outside the organization. Well, even, you, you, got thing there? you have to wind up bringing in, you know, you, you still have to train them up on your stuff and your processes too, right? So that's a challenge. Well, yeah. And then it's, okay. then, then my team says there's no point, right? Because by yeah. the time they get them all trained up, they could have just done the extra work. So that's, I think, the challenge of the balance that we face, but that's, you know, so I think it's easy for cybersecurity and some of the other spaces to look at outsourcing or co-sourcing or however you want to describe it. But when we get to, um, you know, the more complicated roles, it's even harder to just find that talent externally. Well, I, I was going to say, let's not devalue these boring tasks, though, right? Because I think one of, the, one of the challenges that we've faced is the boring tasks, yeah, no one wants to do them, and therefore... No one does them particularly well, mm -hmm. right? Direct, you already alluded to it, like endpoint end, end monitoring, right? I mean, we, we absolutely contracted for an MDR solution because you step back and you say, you know, it's nice that we've invested in SIMS and we, you know, okay, okay, we got all this, but like, we're not really using it to its full capacity, right? You Like you realize yourself, our team is distracted. They are sort of living the life within the organization. There's different things coming at them. There's... You know, different things they're trying to deal with. And you realize that not only is it something they don't want to do, frankly, someone will do it better than they can do it. They'll have more discipline around there. There'll be more process around it. So it, it sort of becomes a little bit of a, of a win-win, if you will. In, yeah, in some I think of these about it too. I think about it too, like, uh, you know, if you, if you're a pilot and you 
fly a small aircraft. Um, to do that really well, you need to do it on a pretty regular basis and you not need not to be distracted while you're flying the aircraft, right? And so some of these things that I talk about is, you know, maybe maybe they're they're boring. I mean, endpoint detection and response and threat hunting. Um, if that's a thing that you're really into, they're not boring at all. And right. you really, really love them. And to be good at them, you have to do them all the time and not be distracted. And that's where like we can help. But it's or or if you have those members on your team, you have to figure out a way to shield them so they can be really, really good at those tasks that need a lot of concentration and a lot of, you know, time to think, uh, don't, you know, don't let them be distracted, but it's hard. It's hard in our healthcare world to, with lots of projects and everything else that's happening to not be distracted. Well, that's one of the other things we wanted to touch on was that idea of creating an environment where people want to stay. Right. And we said, one of the things, well, and then we're trying to give people flexibility, but we need them to come back to the office. We're trying all these different activities and social interactions to make it a pleasant place to be. We're pushing the mission, get them to round, see the effects of what they're doing, provide meaning in their work. Um, but then the other thing we touched on in the write-up for this uh, event was uh, putting out fires and how that can be unpleasant. Um, if you're if you're constantly pulled left, right, it makes you feel like what you were working on didn't have any meaning. Right. If I can be pulled off this as if it didn't matter, that's disheartening to me. I don't know if there's any more. We What more can we do there to create an environment where people feel their work is meaningful that may be different from the way IT has been run in the past? Um, Drax, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the amount of distraction um, that we have today is pretty incredible. There was a report yesterday that came out that said that we had uh, more zero days, um, you know, cybersecurity zero days in 2021 than we'd ever had before. 80 zero days compared to 30 zero days in the previous record setting year. Zero days are kind of the, you know, a, a, uh, a, a, uh, an exploit that can occur and, and no one's actually ever seen it before. And so it's, it has no patch. And so, and, and this is kind of, I think a lot of what, you know, cyber pros feel like they're up against is that there's, you know, this grind that is, that is just happening every day. I think they're struggling with, you know, how long can I stay in this role? How long can I, can I do this job? But, you know, look, ultimately there's light at the end of the tunnel. I think there are ways to, um, to, to work through this, uh, Winston Churchill said something to the effect of like, if you're going through hell, keep going, you know, mm -hmm. you're not in this alone. And, and that's ultimately, I've seen more collaboration, uh, you know, in the last year between the government and health systems and, you know, private companies like, you know, CrowdStrike than I've ever seen before. And, um, look, look there's way more good guys than there are bad guys. So, you know, I would just say, like, keep swinging for the fences and ask for help if you need it. You don't have to do all this stuff on your own. That's great. That's great as a, far, a final uh, parting message. And I'm going to give our other two co-panelists an answer, a chance to either answer the question I posed about creating that kind of environment people want to stay or any final thought. And then and then we'll wrap up. So, Audrey, let's go to you first and we'll go to Jackie. You know, it strikes me. Um... These things in the, in the context in which you described it, Anthony, you know, okay, you know, the, the whip, the whip sawing, right? Got to go do this, got to do that. So 
again, it, I'm sure these things need to be done, right? And somehow they need to be done. This is a little bit, I'd say, um, the management team's um, obligation and responsibility to try to put some structure around these mm-hmm. things, not to have context switching all the time. Right. Um, assuming those things are important and need to get done, that's one, you know, one strategy. And then the second one is um, those who are leaders showing appreciation for the people that are doing those types of things. And you know, this could be in the form of, of shout outs, recognitions and team meetings. In other words, acknowledge the fact that, look, we rather would not have been doing this, but you know, what, like what choice was there? I'm thinking about three weeks ago, we were still dealing with an unencrypted laptop that a resident put PHI on, right? Like you'd say in this day and age, like, come on, right? That took a, a guy three days to work with this resident to understand what's on the laptop. Now, did it need to be done? It needed to be done. Was it in the plan to get done? Of course not, right? And, <laughs> but, but you sort of recognize it needed to be done. Thank you for doing it. You know, let's talk about what slipped. How do we manage the other work that you were supposed to be doing during that time? So I think there's an obligation from management, right, and, and leadership um, to, to acknowledge those things, try to control them, of course, put structure around them, and recognize when people do do that. It sounds right Less on. Less thankful to me. stuff. Yeah. That sounds right on to me. Jackie, your final thought. Yeah, I think a final thought is for me, you have to ground them in, you know, it's it's all about patience. It's all about protecting patients. Every one of us are patients. The organization needs to be protected. And that's what we're doing, whether it's a complicated task or an easy task. Um, you have to ground them back in in what the mission of the organization is, what we're here to do. And then I think as a management obligation you know, we, we have to meet them where they are, um, you know, so give them complicated strategic plans well, giving them mundane tasks at the same time and find that balance for them. And that I think is an accountability of leadership and management and motivate them based on that mission to um, continue to carry out both the complicated and the easy tasks. Great stuff. Great stuff. All right. That's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You'll get the final slide. You can use the final slide in this deck. You'll receive an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready to go. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team. You can go to our website to register for upcoming panels. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel. What a fun conversation today. Jackie Monson, Audrius Polakaitis and Drex DeFord. And I want to thank CrowdStrike for sponsoring and making the event possible. I want to thank you for attending. With that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thanks, guys.